era that Christ did with his presence is characterized by feasting, not fasting, by gladness, not sadness. Let us pray. Father, teach us today through these words of Jesus about your kingdom. Lord, make us glad in Jesus and all that he's done for us. Lord, show us that this is the era of, of feasting, celebrating, rejoicing, and being the redeemed of the Lord. Father, I pray that you would bless the one who preaches with faithfulness, and that you would bless us as your people, that we would hear your word, trusting the Holy Spirit to apply it to our hearts. Praying in Jesus' name, amen. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 2 as we look today at verses 18 through 22. Mark 2, 18 through 22. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast? While the bridegroom is with them. As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old, worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. New wine is for wineskins. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The old is often incompatible with the new. We run into this reality all the time with technology. And just one example, my iMac that uh, dated to 2014 was working just fine, but was incompatible with the newer Mac operating systems that I actually needed. And so because of this incompatibility between the old and the new, I had to suffer and buy a new computer. In our text today, the reality of the old being incompatible with the new serves as the basis for Jesus' response to the question that was posed regarding his disciples not fasting. Our Lord shows the, the incompatibility and the inappropriateness of the Old Testament era fasting with life in the new era that has been inaugurated by his presence with his people. And to see this, we'll work through this passage by looking first at that Old Testament era practice of fasting, and then we'll turn to Jesus's response to the question that was asked of him where he shows how inappropriate it is for believers in his presence, fasting like the Old Testament era fast. And so that's, you'll find a sermon outline 
on one of the pages in your bulletin. So first, fasting, fasting that was appropriate for the Old Testament age or era. So we see in verse 18, John's disciples fasted, and the Pharisees fasted, and their disciples, and likely the disciples of the Pharisees actually were the disciples of the scribes who also were in the Pharisaical tradition. Fasting was practiced occasionally throughout the Old Testament. For example, Moses fasted twice as he was receiving the law on Mount Sinai. Israel fasted during national emergencies, and those Israelites who had been taken into captivity in exile fasted over the fact that the city of Jerusalem lay in ruins. And there are other examples of fasting in the Old Testament, but these are just a few. And the Pharisees, the Pharisees in our passage today, continued that practice and tradition in the Old Testament understanding of uh, fasting, although we'll learn that the Pharisees fasted as on steroids. One might say that fasting was in vogue for the Pharisees. It seems to be that fasting is in vogue in our day, not for spiritual reasons, but for the reasons of one's health. I quote from John Hopkins, fasting is an eating plan that switches between fasting and eating on a regular schedule. Research shows that intermittent fasting is a way to manage your weight and prevent or even reverse some forms of disease. It can be a lifestyle change and one with benefits. Like intermittent fasting on a regular schedule for one's health, the practice of fasting in the Old Testament developed to the point where the Pharisees, like those in our passage today, regularly and scheduledly and voluntarily fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. And they did so to show as an outward sign of their piety and self-consecration. And they largely abused the practice, as we'll see, as we'll read a scripture a little bit later from Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, where Jesus rebukes the ostentatious fasting of the Pharisees. And we'll find, interestingly, and let me just state this now, that Jesus neither prohibits fasting nor does he command it. And we'll look at that towards the end as we look at Matthew chapter 6. The issue in Matthew was the Pharisees' abuse of the practice of fasting to show themselves to be pious and perform and their, show their self-consecration. But Mark's focus is on the manner of fasting like the Old Testament era fast. Though fasting was practiced in the Old Testament and continued by the Pharisees, there is only one fast in Scripture that is commanded, and we find it in Leviticus chapter 16 and verses 29 through 31. 
You can see this also in Leviticus 23, in Numbers 29. And there's actually a reference to the fast on the Day of Atonement in Acts chapter 27 and verse 9. Here in Leviticus 16, the Israelites were to afflict themselves, the text tells us, to afflict themselves in denial. And, and this was associated with acts of repentance associated with fasting and prayer to express mourning and sorrow in preparation for their sins to be expiated or forgiven by the priest in his role going into the Holy of Holies to atone for the sin of the people. The annual observance of the Day of Atonement, of course, we know anticipates, looks forward to the great high priest who would come who offered up himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who forgives that we might have full forgiveness. Our text states that not only did the Pharisees continue that Old Testament era fast on steroids, but also we find John's disciples fasted. So we have to stop and ask, why did John's disciples Fast. Some suggest that maybe John's disciples fasted because their master, John, had been put to death. And that's possible. We don't know. It's just conjecture. But I can say with a high level of confidence is that John's disciples fasted because John fasted. John the Baptist's ministry was to prepare people for the coming or and we, if we go back to chapter 1 and verse 5, we find John's ministry in these words, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He called people to repentance, to be mournful, to be sorrowful, to prepare their hearts for forgiveness breaking forth when Messiah would appear. John's fast and that of his disciples, as Dr. Lane writes, was an expression of repentance, an act of being mournful and sorrowful for one's sin, designed specifically to look forward to and hasten the coming of redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ. John's disciples' practice of fasting, therefore, was directly to the Leviticus 16 fast that annual fast, that in the context of that annual rite that anticipates the future Messiah, Christ. John's disciples were operating under that Old Testament scheme of fasting, mournful over sin, preparing for forgiveness to come, redemption to come in the promised Messiah. Sadness, not gladness, characterized their fast. We glean from this passage not only <clears throat> that the Pharisees regularly fasted, but it seems to indicate that John's disciples regularly fasted as well. Both groups then were puzzled, maybe even confused, why Jesus' disciples were not fasting. And so this led them to ask Jesus, why are your disciples not engaging in what we might call this spiritual discipline of fasting? 
our text in verse 18 tells us that people came to Jesus and they posed this question for him. Interestingly, in Mark, the people are unidentified. However, in Matthew's account, the people are identified, at least in part, as John's disciples. But it would make sense that maybe even some Pharisees were included in that group of people that come. Both John's disciples and the Pharisees puzzled over the fact that Jesus' disciples did not fast. Why is that, Jesus? The issue in Mark specifically was the disconnect between the people of God fasting in the era of redemption breaking forth in the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgiveness had come. Christ's presence inaugurated a new era characterized by feasting, not fasting, gladness, not sadness. And Jesus shows this very thing in his response to their question. Jesus' answer to their inquiry taught the Old Testament fast was inappropriate for the new era inaugurated by his presence. The question posed to Jesus in verse 18 afforded him the, the opportunity to teach about the character of his kingdom as depicted by his disciples not fasting while he was present with them. His response to this question points to a proper understanding of fasting in this new era where our Lord is with his people. A new era dawned for me in 1982 as Renee and I stood in front of a church and before witnesses and took vows as husband and wife. My years of singleness, of longing for a wife had finally come to an end. A new era dawned that day, now living with my wife in the wonderful institution of marriage with its many blessings and just a few challenges. As Renee's husband, it would be not only inappropriate, but absurd for me to revert back to the old era of singleness and longing when I lived with my wife. Similarly, in the new age of Jesus' presence, it would be inappropriate to fast like the old way, longing for redemption, when the promised Redeemer was present with his people. And so Jesus responded to their question in verse 19 with a question. <laughs> his question was based on an analogy that is used throughout Scripture, in passages like Ephesians 5 and Revelation 19 that, that identifies Jesus as the bridegroom and the church as <clears throat> his bride. And so our Lord in verse 19 asks, can the wedding get fast while the bridegroom is with them? It's interesting that in both Matthew's and Luke's gospel accounts of this very event, the question is posed in such a way as the answer is obvious, no. But here in Mark, 
the answer is actually explicitly given. In verse 19, as long as they have the bridegroom with them, Jesus responded, they cannot fast. It would be inappropriate for the guest or the attendants at the wedding banquet to fast while the bridegroom is there and the feast and celebration is going and blowing. It would be absurd for me, married to back to that, that old era of singleness, thinking like a single person longing to be married when I have a wife already. Dr. Hendrickson helps us understand the absurdity of fasting like the old with Jesus present when he said this, the bridegroom's attendance fasting while the feast is in progress. How absurd, says Jesus, as it were. Disciples are mourning while their master is performing works of mercy and while words of life and beauty are dropping from his lips. How utterly incongruous. And what's interesting, though, is Jesus did predict the time when it would be appropriate for his disciples, his followers, to fast. Look at verse 20. Here our Lord refers to a period when the bridegroom will be taken away. I think that phrase, taken away, is very important. And during this period when he is taken away, fasting and mourning as an, or fasting as an act of mourning would be appropriate. And we look at this and readily see where this is an early prediction of Jesus' death, burial, and also resurrection. The phrase taken away recalls what the prophet Isaiah said, by oppression and judgment, he, that is Messiah, will be taken away. John 16, 16 through 24, Jesus there indicates a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So this time period that Jesus makes reference to here in verse 20 is a rather brief period of time. If you have participated in our Good Friday service, you've actually experienced what Jesus is saying here. During that, that service, towards the end, there is a moment when the Christ candle is taken away and is hid from our sight for a little while to represent Christ's death and burial. But then after a little while, the candle is brought back in view and restored. At the end of this little while in John, Jesus would be raised and would be present with his disciples for 40 days. He would ascend to the right hand of the Father, but continue to be present with his people. Notice what Matthew says at the end of, of his gospel where he assures the followers of Jesus Christ where Jesus himself says and lo I am with you till the end of the age Matthew 28 28 and Jesus is with us today in the by the indwelling of his spirit the Holy Spirit but for the little while in John 16 
and verse 16 and Mark 2 and verse 20, for our Lord will be absent, yet our Lord was raised and ascended, and he is present with us. And our Lord's presence with us in this new era gives us, his disciples, much encouragement and comfort and hope. Those who acknowledge him as Lord and Savior are no longer to have an attitude or a disposition of sadness, but that of gladness. No longer one of mourning, but of feasting. We are to have abounding joy. Why? Because our bridegroom is with us and by his Spirit in us. The new age of Jesus is indeed as we read in, in, in the birth narrative, good tidings of great joy. An age where by faith Jesus' joy is in us, that our joy may be full, John 15. It is an age heralded by Simeon. He was waiting, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And by the Spirit, he came to that temple on that day that Jesus was brought to be to be consecrated. And Simeon was able to hold Jesus in his arms. And that's what Simeon said with great joy and glorifying God. He's, because his eyes had seen the Lord's salvation. Luke 2 and verse 30. His day of longing was over. The Redeemer had come. And then Anna the prophetess just later pointed to this new age. She she lived in the temple day and night, fasting and praying, waiting for the redemption of Israel. And she began to give thanks. Her fasting was over. The Redeemer had come. Her longing had ended. Luke chapter 2, verse 38. To drive this glorious reality home for you and me today and for the original hearers of Mark's gospel. In verses 21 through 22, Mark records Jesus' two illustrations, everyday illustrations, that indeed this new era had come by his presence. And the old era of sadness had not only come to a close, not only was inappropriate, but was actually disruptive and destructive to the new age. One illustration is from textiles. If a piece of new unshrunk cloth is tied into, or tied into, <laughs> patched, sewn into a piece of cloth that has been worn and has shrunk, when material gets wet, what's going to happen? The new is going to shrink and tear away from the old and the cloth would be useless, or in our day, the jeans would be more expensive as the holy jeans uh, come at a rather steep price and seem to be rather popular uh, today. So Jesus might have to redo his illustration a tad bit. Thus, the new patch symbolizing the new covenant in Christ does not solve the problem of needing a patch in, in the old, but actually creates one. The new and the old are incompatible is what Jesus is saying here. 
And then when wine is put into an old brittle wineskin, it will eventually burst as the wine, the, the new wine will continue to ferment and will build up that internal pressure. And not only will the wineskin be destroyed, but the wine <laughs> will spill out and it would be no, not worth consuming. Once again, the, the old is incompatible with the new. The wine of redemption must be poured in new wineskins. A new era had dawned where tax collectors and sinners redeemed in the Lord Jesus Christ were poured into the wineskin, brought in to this new kingdom, this Christ kingdom, the wineskin of the kingdom of God, the new wineskin of the kingdom of God. This declares for those who know the Lord Jesus Christ savingly, who have been extended His grace and by faith have received it, they no longer are to live like the era of sadness, but to live in this new era of gladness. For they are able to live in the joy, the gratitude, the freedom, and the spontaneous service of God and to others. You'll note the passage that Bob read earlier from Isaiah 58, in verses 1 through 4, there uh, the, the, uh, the outward expression of fasting from food is discussed with regards to it being abused. In verse 5, the Lord asked, is such the fast I choose? A day for a person to humble himself, that is that outward ritualistic expression. And this passage teaches a literal fast was not what pleased the Lord, but rather lovingly serving God and serving others. The fast that pleases the Lord characterizes the, the, the new era, the, the kingdom inaugurated by Christ where forgiveness is granted. And the forgiven are enabled to do the right thing with the right mode of that true right inside, a changed heart that moves outward and changed behavior in loving service to God and in loving service to others. That is not, that is what pleases the Lord. Similar to the saying, you know, do sacrifices please the Lord, the sacrificial system. Or does loving God and loving others, seeking justice, seeking mercy, those things please the Lord, not the outward ritual. The new era of gladness means we are not called to regularly fast from food in mourning over sin, but to fast in feasting, in gladness, in loving service to God and in loving service to others as His redeemed. That's what pleases the Lord. Loving God and loving our neighbor out of a changed heart. The new era inaugurated by Christ is characterized by feasting, not fasting, gladness, not sadness. We come to just one, I, had to, I just have two points and one application. 
So if you want a three-point sermon, then the, the application is the third point. How should we view fasting from food as being part of the Christian life today? Turn with me to Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18, where we read, And, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. By stating when you fast, Jesus was not prohibiting the practice of fasting. He did prohibit the ostentatious practice of fasting as represented by the Pharisees. But we also have to see that Jesus never commanded fasting. So when we consider Jesus' teaching on fasting, when we consider the, the gospel accounts that we've read today, when we just look at the New Testament as a whole, I would like for us to see several, several things with regards to fasting. And the first thing is this. Jesus made the Old Testament form of fasting obsolete. It, was, it is inappropriate and incompatible with the new era inaugurated by his presence. That's what we looked at in Mark 2. Secondly, Jesus denounced the ostentatious fasting of the Pharisees and any type of ritualistic, mechanical fasting of the sort. Matthew 6. When you fast, Jesus says, no one should even be able to tell you're fasting. It's not for show. It's for your heavenly Father. And then thirdly, in the New Testament, in the early church, fasting was voluntary and never commanded. Fourthly, the practice appears to be occasional and not a regular part of the life of the church. Then lastly, when practiced, fasting is to be for a particular spiritual purpose. Of the three times that, that we know that Paul fasted and prayed, uh, one was after his conversion, Acts 9. The other one was at his commissioning with Barnabas, Acts 13. And another one was in Acts 14 with the commissioning of uh, the ordination of, of elders. There was a specific purpose associated with that. So fasting was for a particular spiritual purpose and was not treated as a spiritual discipline or means of grace, but an act to free one to engage in a spiritual discipline or a means of grace. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones makes it abundantly clear in, in his teaching, and he has a wonderful commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, and Dr. Lloyd-Jones says we should never regard fasting as part of our spiritual discipline. In fact, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says we should always see fasting as a means to an end, not an end in itself. 
It is to be done when one, at Lloyd-Jones says, feels impelled or led by the Spirit to fast for spiritual reasons. He speaks of, we not, the, the, the church should not enjoin fasting on a Friday, for example, or during Lent. Make a statement here that if you go to our book of church order and you turn to the directory of worship, the third part, if you go to chapter 62, what you will find there is a whole page of guidance on the issue of fasting, both individual, family, church, presbytery, generalist. It covers the whole landscape. And so I'm not speaking against our book of order, but one of the guiding principles of that chapter, it emphasizes judgment and discretion in calling for fast and determining the seasons or the length of fasting. And the point that Lloyd-Jones makes is that we should not do these things mechanically. He says this, and by the way, chapter 62, our BCO is not part of our Constitution. It doesn't have that, that level. It's guidance for us. And Lloyd-Jones emphasizes the fact that we should fast on and led by the Spirit. He says that there needs to be a mighty spiritual purpose fasting, need of our entire concentration of the whole of my being upon God would be one reason that we would fast. What should, and I say that simply to say that Jesus never prohibited fasting, he never condemned fasting, but he does give guidance about fasting. And I think one of the problems of the church in recent days is, especially since the middle of the 1800s, is that fasting has been viewed as a spiritual discipline, and we should not view it that way. It is not climbing a ladder to get closer to God. The means of grace come down from God to us, and we need to avoid the sense of we can climb a ladder to get closer to God. Michael Horton makes this clear in some of his writing about the error of fasting means of grace. It's not. Nor is it a spiritual discipline. What should characterize the Christian's life in the new age? Jesus, our bridegroom, has taken us as his bride and given us new life. Our bridegroom is with us. This calls for feasting and for gladness, not fasting and sadness as we enjoy all the saving benefits that he has lavished upon us. And let us not forget that Jesus fasted for us in the wilderness for 40 days as part of his redeeming work, that we would have joy and gladness and feasting in him as his redeemer. When I bought my first computer in the mid-80s, it came with a five and a quarter inch floppy drive. I tried to find one to show you. I looked all over my house and church. I couldn't find one. Remember the floppy Then what came? The three and a half disc. Got plenty of those. If you need three and a half disc, I've got about 5,000 in the church office. 
that we had stored up over the years. And then came the what? CD, the compact disc. And then the DVD. I don't know what DVD means. Something disc, video disc, digital video disc. But all those things are incompatible to our new digital age. My Mac doesn't even have a disc drive, a, a, a DVD or disc drive on it. My iPad, I couldn't get a three and a half disc in that thing without destroying it. And yet, brothers and sisters, fast like the Old Testament or fast mechanically as if we're going to get closer to God, climbing that ladder to heaven. And Jesus would say, like taking a floppy disk and trying it in your iPad. It's incompatible. The new era inaugurated by Christ must be characterized by feasting, not fasting. It doesn't say we should never fast. It should be characterized by feasting, not fasting. And it should be characterized by gladness being glad in the Lord irrespective of what's going on in our lives being glad that our bridegroom is with us and he's perfecting us and one day we'll be with him as his perfected bride at that great supper of the lamb marriage supper of the lamb in heaven Listen, brothers and sisters, that's reason for us to see this new era demands must be characterized by feasting and gladness, not fasting and sadness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture. Lord, take what I've said and use it, correct it, revise it, perfect it. May your word fill our hearts and may we see the joy and gladness and celebration of being with our bridegroom and one day with him in full. We pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would take your